What is going on, everyone? For those I do not know, my name is Nick, and I get the privilege of being one of the pastors here at New Vision. And let me just start off by saying happy Mother's Day. I'm actually filming in the preschool department here at New Vision. It reminded me of moms, and I know some of the moms out there are thinking to themselves, I cannot wait till we get back to a more normal rhythm so I could drop my kids off because this quarantine Woo! And so mothers, we see you, we hear you, we love you. Uh, this being here reminds me of my mama as well. My mom was, was really my best friend growing up, and uh, she was far from perfect. She didn't always make the right decisions, but yet the Lord had placed her in my life to really instill in me and to remind me of some things that were really really true. One of the things that my mom would say to me all the time growing up, and to be honest with you, I didn't really enjoy whenever she would say it, but she would always say to me, Nick, to much is given, much is required. And as I was growing up as a kid, I would fight against that. I would not want to embrace that. I would not want to hear that because it felt like a lot of pressure. It felt like, man, too much is given, much is required. Man, that sounds like a burden. But see, my mom was able to do something that really went far beyond her. She was able to give me a glimpse of the character of God. And she would remind me by saying that, that God doesn't just see me where I am, but where I can be. See, when my mom was telling me too much is given, much is required, I really had done nothing to earn that. I really hadn't excelled in anything, but she could see where I could be, not just currently where I am. And I love what God is able to do. He is able to use his people, his creation, nature to speak of his goodness and to speak of his character. And that's exactly what we are going to see today. See, in the narrative we're going to read today in John chapter 2, we're going to see Mary, the mother of Jesus, who not only saw Jesus right where he was, but really saw where he could be. She knew that he was special because of how he came to be, but she saw of his, his impact. She saw that he was going to really be able to change the world, and she believed full in him. And even though Jesus was early on in his ministry, as we're going to see today, Mary knew that wherever Jesus was, there could be life and transformation. And so we're going to be in John chapter 2 today. And so as we prepare our hearts, as we think about the characters of mothers, as we think about how that reveals the character of God, I pray that our hearts will be open our ears will be open, and that we can walk in a different way because we can see more clearly who Jesus is and what Jesus does. So I invite you to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for this picture and this gift of moms that just reveals even more your character. Lord, as we continue to see your gospel, may it continue to transform our vision so that we can see clearly and that we truly can have 2020 vision, and may we be a people that embrace that. So Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. And Jesus, we pray all these things in your awesome and amazing name. 
Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been in this series, 2020, Embracing a New Vision. Last week, Brady talked about how relational vision People with relational vision know that they have this identity that's rooted in Christ. They have a mission given to them by Christ, and they have a destiny set up by Christ. And today in this narrative, we're going to see this ragamuffin group of characters. There's going to be some servants. We're going to see Jesus. We're going to see his mother Mary, and we're going to see this party crowd because we are about to be invited to a wedding. And in this wedding, there's going to be some tension that builds because the wedding is running out of wine. And you might be thinking to yourself, Nick, that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. But back in this time, it was a big deal. Weddings were the event of a lifetime. They weren't just something you would go to, but no, the whole town would be invited. You would go, you would celebrate, and you would celebrate for days upon days. A lot of times in this time, the couple would not go on a honeymoon. They would just continue to celebrate with friends and family for about seven days. And there was plenty of food and wine. The host of the party was responsible for providing food and wine because in this time, wine represented joy. It just represented the fullness. It represented joy. And so if you ran out of wine, then in essence, the joy would run out. And it was a very key part of the party. Let me go ahead and say this now. When I talk about wine, I am not talking about getting drunk. That's not what I'm saying. Because I don't want you to send me an email and be like, hey, Nick, what were you talking about the wine? But the wine represented celebration. It is not referring to drinking in excess, which leads to drunkenness. But no, it is talking about celebrating. And in this time, wine was a part of the celebration because it reminded you of the joy. And we're going to see that Jesus is going to step into this tension and step into this situation, and he's going to make more wine. Why? Because wherever Jesus is, joy is made complete. Hear me. Wherever Jesus is, joy is made complete. And he's going to do something physically to represent something spiritually. He always does that. As you've heard Brady talked about, myself talk about, when you see a healing in the Bible, yes, they were healed physically, but it was just an example and a picture of what happened spiritually. And so here we are. Jesus is at this wedding with some friends and some new disciples. He's on the beginning of his ministry, and he's about to step into this in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You can turn there. It says this, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. What I love, we're going to keep reading, but what I love about this is we see that Jesus is out with the people living life. Jesus wasn't held up somewhere in his house just trying to do life by himself, but no, he was out and about. And listen, a lot of us are like, whoo, I can't wait till that day. So we see that Jesus was invited to this party. He was invited to this wedding. Why? Because Jesus was among the people, because the people were where his ministry was. Verse number three. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Here's the deal. This is a big deal in this day. Because running out of wine at the wedding feast 
was a big deal because it reflected poorly on the host of the party. If you run out of wine, what it is saying to you is that you were not prepared and that you were not able and ready to bring joy to all those around you. And so Mary comes to Jesus and goes, listen, the wine is gone. They have no more wine. Jesus, what are you going to do about it? Because there was a problem that she couldn't fix by herself. There was a problem that she was made aware of, but she was not able to do anything about it. But what did she do? She went to the person that was able to do something about it, and his name is Jesus. Verse number four. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Let's pause. I don't want anybody getting offended that Jesus called his mama woman. This would be more of kind of in today's term analogy, it would be like ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So he basically said, ma'am, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And what he was talking about is time. It was not yet time for him to be revealed for who he really, really was and to step into his supernatural power that he had. It wasn't time for him to show that. And so Jesus is going to have to figure out a way is how he can step into the midst of this without fully revealing who he was. And this reminds me, too, is that Jesus works on his father's timetable, not just on his own timetable. Verse number five, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. You see that? Mary didn't know what was going to happen, but she knew that something was going to happen because who was in the room and who was at the party, and that was Jesus. So she says, hey, servants, I want you to hear me. Whatever he tells you to do, I want you to do it. Why? Because Jesus's mom was able to see Jesus for who he truly was, even though this was the beginning of his ministry, even though he might have not been doing lots of signs and miracles up to this point. She knew who she was in the room with. She knew who her son was. She knew and was able to see Jesus for who he really was. Isn't that just like a mom? To go, listen, I know you may not have done all the things yet, but here is where I see that you can be. And here's the thing. Why would Jesus step in into this situation? Because it's reflective of that great wedding feast. And him and his father are the host, and they make our joy complete, not through wine, but through their presence and their goodness and their glory. And so Jesus is going to step into this situation and go, listen, I make it complete. I bring joy to the full. I bring abundance wherever I am. And so that is what Jesus is about to step into. Seeing Jesus as he truly is, we should do whatever he tells us as well. So think about this. So Mary says to the servants, because she saw who he was, hey, do whatever he tells you to do. But the same is true for us today and right now. We should do what Jesus calls us to do, not because it's the most convenient thing for us, not because it's always what we want to do, but we know that if we follow in the steps of Jesus, it will lead to the best place. And so not only do these servants, should they listen, but we as a people should listen. Why? Because he's good and he is leading us to the best place. He's not leading us to a mediocre place. He's not leading us to things that will only temporarily satisfy us. He is leading us to a place where life is, where joy is, and where abundance is. And so like these servants who Mary said, hey, whatever he tells you to do, you should do it. We should do the exact same thing. 
And what I love is the encouragement from Mary. She's like, listen, the joy is about to run out. So I'm going to take this to Jesus because he is the one that makes joy complete. Embracing a new vision means expecting Jesus to do big things, but not telling him how to do them. Can we... Can we just pause on that for a second? Let me say that a little bit slowly because I don't like this point, but I think it's one that we need to lean into. Embracing the new vision means expecting Jesus to do big things, but not telling him how to do them. If you were anything like me, you know what I'm really, really good at? It's telling Jesus how to do his job. The only problem with that is I'm ill-prepared and not qualified to tell the king as to what to do. See, I need to trust that he is able to do big things. I need to trust that he is able to restore life. I need to trust that he is able to transform. I need to trust that he is able to bring abundance even when it seems like it's famine. I need to trust that he is able to do it, but I don't get to tell him how he's going to do it. Because let me just go ahead and be honest with you. I've seen the Lord move in all kinds of crazy ways that I would have never expected, but he is moving and he is working. And so, yes, we expect him because I see with a new lens through the gospel that he is able to bring about all things, but I need to trust him to do it the way that he wants to do it. Why? Because he has a better vantage point than I do. And so because of that, I will trust him to do the big things, but I'm not going to tell him how to do the big things. John chapter two, verse number six says this. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, so I want you to think about this. So there were six stone jars, and they could hold up to 30 gallons. That's 100 gallons of water that Jesus is about to turn into wine. And you might go, man, why is so much wine? Like, is, is Jesus trying to get people drunk? No, 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 no. That is not what he is doing at all because it's not about getting drunk. It's about showing that the joy was fulfilled. And so it wasn't for people to just party and get crazy. No, what Jesus was doing was what he does in all of our lives. He goes above and beyond what is expected. And here's the other thing. This was a blessing because there was some monetary value associated with this wine. And so Jesus goes, hey, let me step into this. Let me go above and beyond and let me give a glimpse of what abundance looks like and what the kingdom of God truly is able to do. So I love that Jesus steps in and like, okay, those 180 gallons, I'm about to show you what I am able to do. And so he turns this wine he turns this water into wine, and it's truly, truly amazing. It goes and says this, verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. What does Jesus do? He says, fill them to the brim. Another glimpse and another picture of abundance and fullness because Jesus is always using the physical miracle to reveal the spiritual miracle. He says, fill it to the brim. Jesus didn't just add something to the water. He transformed it. Woo! He didn't just add some goodness to the mess in the muck. No, he transformed it. See, I, I sometimes like think about this, man, that's crazy. You must have just like poured some stuff in it. It was cool. But no, this is not like the first 
glimpse of Kool-Aid in the Bible. If you don't know what Kool-Aid is, that's your mom or your cousin. It's, it was a great thing. It's what I drank as a kid. But Jesus doesn't go get his wine aid and sprinkle it into the water and just makes a better version of water. No, Jesus fully transforms this water into wine. He changes the makeup of it. He changes everything about it. And that's the exact same thing he does with his people and with his children. We're not just made better. We are made new through the power and the transforming gospel of Jesus. And here's another thing he's doing. See, he's revealing that life with Christ is this abundance wine that leads to joy. This is a picture of this great wedding feast that will happen. He said, listen, when I'm involved in the story, when I'm moving, this is what happens. Verse number nine. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from through the servants who had drawn the water new. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Embracing a new vision means remembering that for the people of God, the best is always yet to come. See, I love that the master of the banquet tasted this wine and went, man, this is really, really good wine. And hear me, when it says good wine, it doesn't mean that it had more alcohol in it. It just means that it was the best. It's from the choices of vines. It had the best grapes. It was the best fruit to use in order to produce this. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't just make mediocre wine, just how Jesus doesn't kind of halfway complete the story and bring what he promised through fruition. No, Jesus does something amazing. He truly transforms it into what is best. And that is if you're walking in relationship with Jesus, that is what he is doing with us. He is changing us to what is best, which is more like himself. And so this banquet, this master of the banquet just goes, wow, this is what great wine tastes like. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you go, man, this is what it truly means to follow and to walk in rhythm with Jesus. It makes you pause in your steps. It makes you go, "Woo! I had heard about this, but now I have tasted and seen that the Lord truly is good. Verse 11, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There they stayed for a few days. You know what I noticed about this? There's a lot of things, but one of the main things I noticed about this, did you notice that when Jesus comes to this wedding, and his mother tells him about the wine. And his mother goes, hey, Jesus, I know you're able to do something greater. And I know you're able to bring this joy and to complete this. Jesus doesn't go to the host of the wedding party. And he doesn't go, how dare you run out of wine? He doesn't go and turn the water basins over and go, man, who needs water when we're supposed to have wine? He doesn't ridicule anyone. He doesn't dropkick anyone. He doesn't get angry with anyone. What does he do? He steps into the midst of the tension and the mess, and he brings about change and transformation. And I think about that, and I go, whoa, 
See, sometimes in my life I heard that Jesus is just mad at me and he's waving an angry finger at me, but this is not the posture of God that we see through his son, Jesus. That's not what we see at all. What we see is Jesus, as he always does, steps into the midst of the mess, steps into the midst of the tension, and he changes it and transforms it. And it's truly amazing. The other day, um, I don't remember what day. If you're anything like me, my days were really running together. So I don't even know if it's May or June or April, or maybe we went around and I missed Christmas. I don't know where we are. Um, just quarantine's got my brain just a little, whoo. And maybe you can relate to that. But it was one day, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe last week, whatever. And uh, my kids were outside playing in our backyard, which is one of my favorite places to hang out. And we have a dog. Her name is Ray. Yes, she's named after Ray from the Star Wars movies. My kids named her. It's a great name. Um, but we have Ray. And, and if you know anything about dogs, dogs are always trying to figure out where they fit in the pack. And so what that means is sometimes they'll nibble a child. Sometimes they'll just test the boundaries. And so my youngest, Nash, is five years old. And Ray has figured out that she's above him in the pack. She has figured that out. She'll sometimes push them. She'll sometimes bump into them just to kind of like an older sibling would. Like, hey, just want you to know that I'm bigger than you and I, I can handle things. And so, so Nash was in the background and we had probably had conversations with him several times before. Like, hey, man, don't get the dog riled up because, you know, she's still a bit of a puppy and she doesn't listen as well. So be careful. And so we have that conversation, you know, you know, if you're a parent, you, you recognize that your kid's probably like, yes, father, yes, mother, whatever you say, I will listen and do to a T. Well, that didn't happen. You know, he's playing around. And so I'm watching. My wife is back there. I'm back there. I'm watching. And Ray runs up to him, pushes him down, scratches him, and then like looks at him like, like she's a bully. Like, what are you going to do now? And of course, Nash begins to cry. He begins to weep. He begins to cry. Why? Because he's hurt. And really, the dog just hurt him. And so my wife, as she has done with all of her kids in, con in all kinds of situations, and, and I don't know, maybe just there's something in me that's misfiring. I look at that and I think to myself immediately, well, we told you not to get the dog all riled up. Why would you do that? But my wife, the all-star of our family, goes over to Nash. And she does this really beautiful thing that I've seen her do so many times before. She kneels down to Nash. She pulls him in close. And she says, it's going to be okay. You know, in that moment, my wife, my beautiful, beautiful wife, the mother of all three of our kids, um, in that moment, she didn't go up to Nash and say, hey, Nash, let me tell you all the things that you did wrong in this situation. She didn't say, hey, Nash, did you not listen to me when I told you not to get the dog riled up? She didn't do that. She didn't bring up all the times in the past where Nash had not listened to her. And because of that, he found himself in all kinds of precarious circumstances and situations. She didn't say any of that. What she did was she went, she kneeled, she pulled him in close and reminded him that she was close and that she loved him. So as I'm watching my wife in this situation that I've seen her in lots and lots of times, I feel like the Lord was whispering, see, Nick, now you can see even more clearly my character. See, Nick, 
I'm not mad at you. And Nick, I want what's best for you. And Nick, I love you. And so we see the posture of God and we see it through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. It wasn't, hey, everyone, you're doing all these wrong things. It's like, no, hey, you're not measuring up. But instead of me getting mad at you and yelling at you, I'm going to kneel down next to you and I'm going to pull you close and I'm going to invite you in and I'm going to answer your need. And Jesus did that so beautifully on Calvary's cross. So that we, as these lost children who try to do things our own way, he pulls us in close and reminds us that, listen, I love you, I'm for you, and I'm going to surrender my life on the cross, and I'm going to be resurrected from the grave so that you can be set back right. And what I love, after this, Nash got up, and you know what he did? He continued to play and laugh, and his joy was made complete. And that's exactly what Jesus does. Maybe for you, this isn't what you thought Jesus was like. Maybe you were someone who thought, man, I always thought Jesus was telling me all these things I had to do in order to be in relationship with him. But see, the truth of the matter is Jesus did everything so that we could be in relationship with him. He surrendered his life, was resurrected from the grave, and lived perfectly so he could be the sacrifice that we all needed. And so maybe today is a day where you say, you know what? I've never said yes to Jesus. I've never said yes to his invitation. Maybe today is the day where you say yes. And how you can do that is as simple as going, hey, Jesus, I say yes to you. I say yes to the price that was paid for me. I say yes to your resurrection. And I say yes to your invitation to sit at your table and be as one of your kids. That's what it looks like. And on the authority of God's word, it says, if you say that, something like that, then you will be saved. Maybe today is today on this Mother's Day. Through the character of mothers, we see the character of Christ. And maybe today you can see him for who you have not been able to see him as. Maybe today is the day where you get truly clear vision and you embrace it. That's my prayer for you today. I invite you right where you are to pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are and what you do. Lord, thank you that you mend what's broken, that you make joy complete, and that wherever you are, there is joy and abundance. Father, thank you for mothers. Thank you that you have designed them to give us a glimpse of who you are. And Father, even those times where we are dealing with very, very imperfect moms or very imperfect situations, you are still able to use the broken and the hurt, Lord, to reveal your goodness and really to restore what once was lost. And so, Father, may we have that posture to believe that you are able to do only what you can do. And Lord, thank you for this picture of Jesus at this wedding, where if we move too quickly, we'll just bypass and go, that's a pretty cool miracle. But as we dig a little deeper, we can see that you were revealing yourself through what you did at this wedding. And thank you, thank you, thank you for being good, and thank you for loving the people such as us. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Know that you're loved. Know that you have a God who goes before you. You have a God who is with you. You have a God who has your back. Go and be blessed.